as we were singing earlier, I feel like traveling on, I was thinking, you know, I really don't. I'm just, I really want to just stay right here right now. I just really enjoy our church and just was enjoying the presence of the Lord. And, and then there was testimonies and I changed my mind. <laughs> Some of you didn't catch that. Everybody making fun of your pastor for being long-winded. I tell you why. I'm on my way. No, it would not. We were on our way home, and I found that, uh, I can't remember if it was Eliana or, or Trisha that was telling me, but uh, Eliana had decided that she was going to write on a piece of paper, keep it short, Daddy, and pin it to my suit. <laughs> oh, tape it to my suit. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I almost didn't preach tonight. And that was before you all started on me. I almost, I almost did something different, but I didn't, I couldn't get clear on it. I almost just, uh, without any warning, told all of our, uh, when we got here, told all of our uh, uh, song leaders, "Be ready. You're gonna, you're gonna be leading in the songs. So we're gonna do an old-fashioned hymn sing." But uh, I couldn't get clear on that. felt like the Lord really wanted us to speak uh, from 1 John again, so I invite your attention to that. I make no promises to the length of this message. And uh, I'll tell you, I want to be shorter. <laughs> but I have, I have been carrying some heavy burdens really have been. And uh, that isn't because, uh, that isn't because I think you all need to move up, but more so because I think I need to move up. Uh, I know this series, I, I want to be a better soul winner. Last Sunday, the Father's Day message, I want to be a better dad. And uh, even through First uh, John, I, I want to I want to just serve him better. And I just have been carrying a heavy burden lately. And, and maybe you should better just pray and ask, your, ask the Lord to lighten the load on your pastor. Maybe you preach a little shorter. Uh, I don't mean to blame God at all. I need to be a little quicker. But we want to mind the Lord tonight. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Thankfully, this, this, morning, or this evening's text is a little easier to preach than last Sunday evening's text. I trust that the Lord will help us together. First John chapter 3 and beginning in verse 11, it says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Wow. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Strong language for the gospel that's known for his love, isn't it? 
whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels and compassion from him, how dwelleth he, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Father, John's words are like an arrow to the heart. And may they find its target. May we be people that are of love, not of hate. Let us be of people that follow your word and trust you and walk in the light. We ask these things in your perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. A young man had gone off to college and he was headed home for a long weekend. And so he gave his mother a phone call and said to her, Mom, I, I want you to know I found a girl and I'm engaged. And he said, uh, what I'd like to do is, is I, I want to bring her home with me, but uh, I, I think it'd be fun to play a little game. He said, I'd like to bring three girls home with me and not tell you which one it is that's my fiancé, and then at the end of the evening, I'd like to see if you can guess which one it is. Well, the mother thought that this would be fun. Apparently, games were something this family enjoyed doing, and so she said, sure, bring all three girls over. And so, uh, as he came home for college, he had three young ladies with him in, in the vehicle, and they pulled up, and they had their evening, the meal, and so forth, and at the end of the evening, uh, the girls were, I think, had made their way uh, up to bed. Or, and uh, the son said to the mother, he said, Have you been able to figure out which one is my fiancé? And she said, oh, The one they sat on the couch is the one who sat in the middle. He was astonished. He said, You got it. It's absolutely right. How did you know? And the mother said, I don't like her. <laughs> Starting off a while, aren't they? Starting off a while. All of the Bible is about one thing, and it's about love. It's about three kinds of love. The love of God towards us, our love towards God, and our love towards each other. It's the very foundation of all of the scriptures. And certainly there are perhaps other things that, are, that you can find in God's words, but almost everything, in fact, I would perhaps say that if you're creative, you probably could put all of God's word into one of those three boxes. Our love, our God's love for us, our love for God and our love for each other. 
sin entered into the world, it did a terrible thing, didn't it? It separated us. It caused it where man did not have a natural love for the Father. Natural love. And because of that sin and because of that loss of love, we had need of a great Savior. And God loved us and showed it to us. And Jesus' message as he walked the face of this earth. And many of, really, the commandments, a lot of them boil down to loving God and loving each other. If you, in fact, Jesus said that all of the law and prophets hung on those two commandments. All of God's word really is about those three loves. We have... In this text, three loves. These three loves of God loving us, us loving God, and loving each other. But John tells us we've got a choice to make. In fact, he presents to us two separate choices. Two separate choices. And John wants us to understand that not only is love foundational, but that love is required. That, that love is necessary. That, that if you, in fact, he, this is how strong he says it. If you don't love your brother, then you are dead spiritually. That's pretty strong. I mean, this isn't James, this is John. I'm like, John, wait, wait a minute. Now, James is the one who, who brings his two-by-four and bonks us over the head. John, you're the one that's nice and loving, and, and you're, the, you know, you're the one that, that sat you know, by Jesus and leaned on his, on his chest. I mean, John, you're, what do you, wow! Why the strong language? I think the reason that John is so strong in this is because he knows that the easiest thing in the world to do is to fall out of love. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. Now I know Josh, I think it's Josh McDowell says people don't fall out of love, they fall into ditches. But I don't agree with him. I don't believe that that falling out of love is impossible. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I've done enough marital uh, counseling. I've done enough uh, pastoring. I've done enough uh, working with people to know that people do fall out of love. And the reason we fall out of love is because we quit putting kindling and, and wood on the fire. And as soon as we quit putting uh, fuel to the fire, the fire will go out. That's true for our relationship with our wives and our husbands. There ought to, I know that it isn't all passion and romance that when you get married, but there ought to be a little bit of, of something there. There's got to be a spark sometime. And if you don't have any spark, well... You know, go get a hotel in Joplin. 
Go find a spark. Go, go to the zoo and walk with the animals and say, honey, I'm sure glad you don't look like that monkey. <laughs> I'm sure that'll fire her up. She'll be real excited after you say that. You've got to add some fuel to the fire. Every little bit, a little bit, even in our marriages, you know, it just doesn't work. You know, the fellow whose wife said to him, you know, honey, uh, do you love me? And the, the man looked up at her and he said, do I love you? I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not what she wants to hear. She wants to hear you continually put wood on the fire. Every once in a while, when she's all dressed up for church or some other occasion, you ought to say, wow, fellas. Good, brother, good. I'm glad, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes yet. I'll get you later. <laughs> We know this. We do this with our children, don't we? We just don't have ex rules and expectations. Rules without relationship breeds rebellion. We know that. Every once in a while, dads, you ought to take your children on a one-on-one -on -one date. You ought to do that. You say, my kids are all grown. Well, you know, it wouldn't hurt even if you did it when they come home or you went to their place say, hey, you know, let's, why don't we just go on over to... A restaurant together, just you and me. Yeah. There you go. I just want to spend some time one-on-one. -on -one. Just going back to what we preached this morning that spoke to different hearts. And I'm so thankful, so grateful to the Lord that it spoke to your hearts. But, you know, we've got to do this with our children. We've got to add fuel to the fire. And, you know, we've got to do that with each other in our churches. Do you know that fellowship is the antidote to cliques? Fellowship is the antidote to cliques. Now, we don't have cliques here that I have been it noticed. But you know, I, I, I was at a church, I attended a church as a young person, and the pastor was always accused of being a part of a clique. And as I look back at it, I, I'm not sure whether he was or wasn't. I really don't know if he wasn't a clique or not. I, it's, it's not clear to me. I think maybe he was, but I'm not sure. But this I know. There were certain families that he was over to their house very often and other families who felt left out. But I wish that... I. As he, when I was hearing these complaints, I wish I would have been wise. I wasn't wise as a young person. I'm not sure I was wise now. But I wish what I would have said is, have you invited him over? Have you had fellowship with him? Now, that's not me trying to get over to your house. Okay? I'm just trying to help us understand that when, if you want to have relationship, if you feel like there's something in between, you've got to add fuel to the fire. You might have to check in. You may have to say, you know, is there anything between us? 
you know, I, you keep walking by and you don't shake my hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably ask you after a couple of Sundays. Now, some of you walk in with your hands full and I don't expect you to juggle everything. I understand that. But if, if it keeps happening that you always have a handful, I might start wondering, I wonder what's going on here. And you know, I'm going to check in. You know why? Because I want to add fuel to the fire. I want you to know I don't want anything between us. I want to keep things hot. Because when it, when the fire burns low, that's when the enemy creeps close to the camp. When the fire burns low, that's when the enemy creeps close to the camp. Two choices before us that John gives us. He says we get to choose between, between love and hatred. And you know, I was, as I was praying over this, I said, you know, I don't know that that's a real problem, Lord. I don't know anybody that hates people in our church. I don't, I don't know that I got game here. I don't know any toes to step on. Because that's what I'm always looking for. Every service is true. Who guy can step on their, on their toes? Not really. But, I, but you know, I, what amazes me, what amazes me is that God says that when we hate somebody, that we're guilty of murder. A man was at a zoo some time ago, and as he was there outside of the lion's cage, and he just saw the lion. And if you've ever seen lions at the zoo, they're mostly boring. They lay there on the rock sunning themselves, and they don't do a whole lot. And the man said to the zookeeper, he's standing outside the, the bars, he said, you know, so that lion reminds me a lot like of my cat, just laying there sunning himself in the sun. And the zookeeper said, there's a difference between that lion and your cat. Within the heart of that lion is a murderer. And you'd be thankful for these bars. You'd be thankful for these bars. And you know in the heart of every person who's not saved, there is a heart of a murderer. If you're not saved this evening, in your heart there is murder. Because what happens is our nature is to hold grudges and bitterness and anger and wrath. It is the nature of the unsaved person to have ought against others. I wish it wasn't our nature. But I, I don't think it is surprising. I don't, think, I don't think we should be shocked that the first man ever born on this planet was a murderer. It didn't take long in human history for this to become evident. And John tells us why. Because Cain's works were evil and his brother's was righteous. And because of that, they hated him. And John says, you shouldn't be surprised that the world hates you because in their hearts, they're murderers. 
And their works are evil and they know it. There's a man who was out hunting and suddenly a rainstorm came on upon him and he found himself in a cave quickly and he kind of dried off a little bit and he took his flashlight to check out the cave and he looked around and he saw all manners of lizards and spiders and snakes and everything. And you know, he decided he preferred the rain to the cave. I don't know what he thought he'd find in that cave. But when we live as Christians and our deeds are righteous, we're like that flashlight and it shines on their lives and their deeds. And it concerns me that we are living in a church period, a church time where we are more concerned with the world being in love with us than us being in love with Jesus. Now you know that I, that I am very eager to see people saved. But I'm not willing to lower the bar so that they can come in and be unchanged and feel like they're okay. Because then what's the point? Numbers on the board? Money in the offering plate? Our ego? What's the point if we're, if we're not helping them to fall in love with Jesus? Our lives ought to be like that flashlight. And some will hate us. But I hope and I pray that some will, will repent. And realize that they don't want to live like that anymore. Do you know what? I've heard a lot of different, I don't know if I want to use the word a lot, but I've heard several people, church people, holiness folks say, they said, I love them, but I don't like them. You know, there are some people that are difficult to love. I'm just going to be honest. There are some people that are just real difficult. There's people that will take advantage of you. There's people that, that will lie to you. They, they stab you in the back. But do you know what, what I'm concerned with? I'm concerned that we, we say those things and really if God would, would shine His light of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, we'd find that we don't really love them. We better be very careful with the people we don't like. Very careful. And John is telling us, if you have hatred in your heart, you are a murderer and you're not spiritually alive. You're not a Christian. I didn't say that this, morning, this evening. That's John says that. God's word says that. That's the first choice. The second choice is between, and this one I think it's a lot harder, and I have to be careful because this one can be my hobby. But Wes, you've gotten picked on. I think you've had to pray three times today. But I'm going to pick on you again just because we, we want you to go to Africa knowing that you're well-loved and well-picked on. 
I have to be real careful here because this is my hobby. If I have a hobby, John says we have a choice between love and indifference. We don't care. We just don't care. Rich man Lazarus, I don't know if that was a parable or Jesus was telling a true story. I think, it, I think it's possible it was a true story because he called Lazarus by name. But the whole point of the rich man and Lazarus isn't that, that the rich man hated Lazarus, but that Lazarus had come and the rich man had seen the needs and the wants and was indifferent to his needs. And that's what cost, that's what cost the rich man his soul. He just didn't care. Apathy. John says, we know that God loves us because God wasn't apathetic towards us. He saw us in our need. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in, in, in our, the pollution, our own pollution. Not someone else's pollution. Not someone else's fault. Our own pollution. Our own choices. God saw us and he didn't say, you know what, not my problem. God didn't say, you know, he made his bed. We're going to let him lie in it. He could have said those things. And you know what? Those are things that saved people say so often. You know, a lot of people make choices because that's the only, they don't even realize they have a choice. That's what they've been taught in, all their life. That's what they have to do. Told, shared with you this morning that Asians would make up 43% of our Ivy League students if they went by test scores alone. But they only make up like 3-4% of our population. But their parents make education the most important thing. And that's all those kids know is education. And how many times in the National Spelling Bee is it an Asian that wins it? Because all that matters to them. That's their number one thing is education. Number one thing. And then some of the Asian cultures, there's four or five institutions, colleges to go to. And if you don't get into one of those schools, your life is basically over. And parents come here as immigrants, and they push, and they push, and they push their kids, probably push them way too hard and take away their childhood. But they, that's, they're so, that's so ingrained into their culture that they become our brightest and best. We have also an African-American culture where so oftentimes dad isn't even present and mom is working a job or doing all sorts of other things and the child has no tutors and, no, and, and there's very little pressure for them to excel academically. Now these are a little bit stereotypical, I understand, and I don't mean to sound racist in any way, but, but they're... If we went by test scores alone, the cultures 
Now, is there very, are, are Asian people smarter than white people? Are they smarter than, than, than African-American people? No, they're not smarter. It's a, the parents have taught them this is the choice to make. And there's a lot of good colored people that, that are street smart and can survive in situations that none of us would even want to be caught dead in. They've had, they've had to learn survival. And that's the skill that was most important for mom to get into them is survival, survival. And white people, it just depends on, on the parent and the background. Some really push education, some push sports, some push other things. A lot of times the choices that we make were made for us. They were taught to us from our childhood. This is the way you are to be. This is the most important thing. What did Brother Alex share with us last Sunday night about his dad? Sit up straight. You know what? That gave Alex doesn't have a choice. Now he kind of does, but he's been practicing sitting up straight so long, it's hard for him to not sit up straight. The choice was made for him in so many ways. And when we look at someone and say, you know what, you're poor, it's your own fault. And you know what, a lot of times it is. They've made dumb financial decision after dumb financial decision. Or you know, you, you're... You're, uh, and, and, and you can fill in whatever blank you want to fill in. And we can sit up on our high judgmental seat and say they're, they're in that place, they're in prison, they're, they're, they're hungry, they're this or they're that, and it's their own fault and their own choices. And you know what that says to the world? We don't care. That's what it says. I'm really going to try not to spend too much here on this hobby, but it's, this one is the one that gets me the most because I really feel like this is the one area where our conservative holiness folks fail more than any other area. What is our attitude towards those that are on welfare? Oh, they're lazy, good for nothing. Really? Some of them are working jobs. Some of them are working two and three jobs. All they can get is part-time work. But you know, you know, never mind. You know that people take advantage. Sure, there's people who take advantage. But do you know that person does? Do you know their story? You know, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of lies, and I'll just, I'll just. And I know it's real controversial, and that's why I bring it up, because I think we need to be, in our, I, need, I think preachers are supposed to talk to the day that we live in. I'm really concerned about this immigrant, uh, illegal immigrants and those applying for asylum and having their children taken away from them. It bothers me. You say, if they, if they don't want their kids taken away, they shouldn't come here. Maybe. But does that make the law just and right? And I'll just be honest with you, Jeff Sessions' misuse of the scripture was abominable. It's an abomination to twist scripture to, to justify injustice. That same scripture 
that same chapter talks about treating our neighbor and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That same passage. But he ripped it out of context so that he could put through his nonsense. And, you know, and I heard so many people say, well, God, it's good to hear the Bible, and oh, it's good to, for this. And you know what I thought? You know, how sad is it that we are exalting those who will twist scriptures, and it's not even stuff you even believe. You don't even believe it. And you know how I know you don't believe it? Because you're the same people that complained about the laws that the uh, Democrats passed that you didn't like. Grumping about Obamacare and all that. But you, you didn't say, oh, the Bible says obey the laws of the land. Or just let's everybody rejoice in this new law. How, how more hypocritical to the world can we be when we say, when, when one political party says it, it's wonderful and great, we obey the laws of the land, and the other political party says it, and we have a hissy fit. I don't hear any of us rejoicing over abortion. It's the law of the land. Should we be quoting uh, Romans 13 in defense of abortion? I told you this is my hobby. I'm sorry, Wes. I know there's a lot of misinformation, and I don't know what all's going on, and I've tried to figure it out, and it just seems like everybody has twisted and turned it, and I don't even know all the truth about what's going on in our, at the border right now. But this I know. This I know. If we don't care, John says, the love of God's not in us. And we ought to care. We ought to care about the poor and the homeless. And we ought to care about the vets that are committing suicide at an astonishing rate. We ought to care. And you say, Pastor, I can't care about everything. Maybe we can't, but can we care about something? In ourselves, in our pleasures, in our own conveniences, can we care about something? Other than ourselves and our loved ones? Is there anything we care about? And I, I, probably you all think I hate Trump, because I, but he's the current president, and I just preach on the current events. I think preachers ought to preach on the current events. That's what every great preacher in history has ever done. And nowadays, we've gotten to the place that the pulpit has been silent on what's going on in our world. And you know what's happening? Is that we've become a church, the church as a whole, has become powerless. Because we don't stand for anything, because preachers won't preach on it. I don't hate our president. I hope that he is the best president we ever had. I hope our economy does great. And I hope that uh, he has the most, uh, he goes down as the uh, greatest president in history. I really do. I don't hate our president. But that doesn't mean I'm going to uh, put God's seal of approval on everything he does. Because one, I don't have the authority to do that. And second of all, even if I did have the authority to do that, I don't believe he deserves that. And, let's just, and I'll just be honest, I don't think a president in my lifetime has got, would have that. And probably not in your lifetime either. We've got, we've, we're living in a world right now Or we just don't care. 
I have my job to take care of. I have my house to take care of. I've got my family to take care of. And we're so busy and we're so this and we're so that. And you know, we're losing our young people because our young people do care. Our young people care a lot about this. You ask our young people what's the number one issue facing the church right now, and you know what they're going to say? They're going to say social justice issues. That's what high school and college kids are saying is the number one issues facing the church. And you know what they're saying? The church is silent on it. And you know what? If John were here in my place, and I wish he were, if John could come back and, and, and preach for us, he would be telling us, do you even care? I don't know this, this evening how to preach this other than the way I did. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to even be political. I'm not trying to be pro or anti anything. All I'm just trying to help us understand is John tells us we have a choice between love and apathy. Those are our choices. Love and murder, love and hate. Probably most of us aren't going to struggle there. But love and apathy? Well, that got to help us. Who's, who's on your heart this evening? Who do you have a burden for? Who's the one that keeps you up at night praying for them? If you don't have anyone you're carrying a burden for, I think you're missing it. You better pray and ask God to give you a burden. But you know what happens? Our burden goes to ours and ours only. My parents and my kids, my brother and my sister, my grandkids. I wonder sometimes if our prayers aren't getting answered because all we ever care about is the, uh, is the people that, that we go to church with and the people that we're related to. And that's the extent of our prayers. I know a lot of churches, the reason they aren't growing is that the only people that they ever try to do any outreach to are backsliders. They keep putting their seed on the same hard soil that has never produced, and they keep throwing the seed in the same place, and they keep whining because they don't have any fruit. Jesus told the parable of the sower, the sower scattered the seed on all soils. And we pick and choose which soil we're going to put our seed on. And there's just some people we don't care about. 
It's a good thing I preached this after I got voted on, brother. Do we care? Do we care that our neighbor's going to hell tonight? Do we care that there's a world full of people that never heard about Jesus? Do we care that and these natural disasters, that it's godless agencies coming to the rescues and not Christians. When the Iron Curtain fell, does it bother you that it wasn't holiness folks that rushed in there first? But it was the Pentecostals and the Baptists who made it there first before we did. Does that bother you this evening? Does it bother you that, that there are children within five miles of this church that don't have any idea what the cross means and what it stands for? That there are parents, there are adults that are, are within the, the shadow of this steeple who have never once darkened the door of a church. Do you ever just go to Walmart and see somebody and just get a burden and pray, Lord, help that person to find you some way, somehow? You say, how do you know they're not saved? I don't know. I just Sometimes I just get a burden. Sometimes I go in the store and I'll see somebody and I'll just, I'll just wonder if they're ready to meet God. I understand America's post-Christian. I get that. But I wonder if it got that way because we stopped caring. You know how much the Methodists cared? They cared so much that when they landed here in America to preach the gospel, they got on their horses and they began to go everywhere there was people. They'd, they'd find wagon tracks and they would chase down those people until the average life expectancy of a Methodist circuit rider was 30 years old. If I was a circuit rider, I'd probably be dead wearing myself out because I cared so much about souls. You say there's a better way, preacher. Maybe there is. But it tells me that our history, our background, our, our, 
our roots that, that we talk about so much of, and, and, and how much we care about things of the past. Folks, we don't have the things, the, the blessings of God from the past because we don't make the sacrifices they made. We don't care the way they cared. Now, I'm not trying to guilt us tonight. Oh, God, help me. I'm not trying to guilt us. There's only so much we can do. I understand that we can't help everyone. But John says, if you see your brother in need, and you have the good, and you have it, give it to him. A sage had his disciples with him, and he asked the young men, he said, do you know how we can tell when darkness is turning to light? And one ambitious young man said, when you could tell it's an elm tree and not a juniper. And the sage shook his head no. Another young man said, I, I believe that it's when you can tell it's a fox and not a wolf. And the sage shook his head no. He said, you can tell when darkness turns to light when you can see a person and recognize them as your brother and sister. When you see a person and you recognize them as either your brother or your sister, that's when the darkness within you is turning to light. I don't mean to preach hard tonight. I really don't. And I don't mean to step on anyone's toes. I hope I missed all of your toes. But the spirit of apathy is keeping us from revival. The spirit of apathy is keeping us from winning souls. Spirit of apathy is keeping us worshiping the false gods of this world, of the political system. Spirit of apathy pats ourselves on the back for doing the smallest of good deeds. Spirit of apathy is killing us spiritually. It's killing our churches. And it's costing us our children, and it's costing us our influence, and it's costing us the presence of the Holy Spirit in our services. And we keep saying we want revival, and we keep saying we want God to move, and we keep saying this and that and the other thing that we want from, the, that, from what we've heard from times past, but we keep our apathetic spirit. And as long as we hold on to our apathy... We'll never see revival. And my question to us this morning is at what cost is it too much to hold on to it? What price will you pay for your apathy? Will we pay with our children? Will we pay with our grandchildren? Will we pay by losing this nation to sin and filth and pollution. 
at what point will we say we shouldn't be apathetic anymore when we close the doors for the last time and sell the property and allow this to be turned into a grange hall? Is that when we're going to wake up and realize that apathy has cost us too much? When will it, it dawn on us that apathy has cost us too much? We can't fast. We can't pray. We can't do anything because we're so busy. How long, folks? How much are you willing to pay? I want you to know that there's a high, high cost to be apathetic. And you'll pay far more than you ever want to. You say, can you get to heaven being apathetic? I don't know. The rich man couldn't. The rich man couldn't. Can you? I don't know. I just don't know this evening. Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and didn't feed you? When did we see you naked and didn't clothe you? When did we see you in prison and not visit you? Why won't you let us into your kingdom? You're apathetic. But we called you Lord. We had church and we played in the orchestra and we sang in specials and, and, and we taught Sunday school classes and, and we didn't we do wonderful things for you, Lord, in your name? Didn't we do great things in your name? You're apathetic. You're apathetic. You just didn't care. a high price to pay to be apathetic. I'm inviting us to stand.